Hello and welcome along to the Go Perform podcast. Today, I want to have a conversation with Rebecca Hill about finding a healthy relationship with food and exercise. Um, it's a journey that she's been on and she is currently working with lots of people in this area. And I thought it'd just be really helpful to unpack it and to talk about what can be quite a sensitive subject with friends and family. Um, so Becky, welcome along. Thank you very much. Lovely to have you here. Thank you so Great much to for be here. coming along. Um, could you just give us an overview of your background and your work journey so far? Yeah, it's a big story, Dan, because I feel like I'm getting on. <laughs> um, shall I start from the beginning? Please do. So I guess I'll start with running because that's what really got me to where I am today. I, I got into running at secondary school, cross country, track, um, joined Reading Athletics Club, which was a massive part of my teenage years absolutely loved it went several times a week thank you mum and dad um, for doing that Sundays away um and it was great uh, at the same time I put a lot of pressure on myself to do really well with that with all areas of life so it was kind of bittersweet but at that point I was I was moving for all of the right reasons because I had fun doing it because it let me explore what my body could do. It felt good. It, it was, you know, a really healthy activity. And I guess a lot of that changed when I got to university. I developed quite a poor relationship with exercise. I ran probably every single day for a really, really long time. Um, what kind of I running say, were you doing, Becky, back then? Well, it was it just just out running. Like mm. it was long distance running, mm. but I was kind of making it up. I hadn't. I didn't have a plan. I was just out there running for all of the wrong reasons. So just running to make my body smaller, to burn off all of the calories that I'd eaten. So alongside developing a really poor relationship with movement, I developed a really poor relationship with nutrition. Mm. Um, I would quite literally count the calories that I'd eaten and then see how many calories I could burn on my watch to try and match it, which we all know, hopefully now that the calories that you burn on your watch are wrong. Mm. Um, yeah, but you know, all of the food rules you can think of, you can't have bread twice in a day, which obviously absolutely you can and, and is totally necessary. So I suppose something that's really interesting there is my running got a lot worse. Mm. I regressed hugely. I didn't compete for ages. I was quite unhappy, to be honest with you. It was really disordered relationship with food. Mm. Um, I'm not there now, though. <laughs> how was your mental health during that time? Was it, was it a reaction to anything that was going on? Was it, it was. So I had a, a life event that happened that actually triggered the start of it. But it was also a lot to do with that desire to be perfect. Yeah. So I put a lot of pressure on myself to do well in education and wanted to get top marks. So I put a lot of that into the way that my body looked as well. And... I guess it starts. To, it started to become a bit of a, an identity, mm. being the person that ran a lot, being the person that was small, and then people would comment on that a lot. But I guess also I was just super stressed about doing well at uni and moving away from home was a big step. Mm. And I put a lot, it was it was control, I guess. But yeah, mental health it wasn't great, and it's it's interesting because I was unaware of that. I had no idea that. I wasn't happy because I'm such an extrovert mm. and by not eating enough, it was quite numbing. Mm. So I guess the awareness was, was really, really limited. And I look back now and I'm like, man, that was a sad place. Yeah. Such a sad place to be. And just like absolutely surviving and not thriving in the slightest. And do you think people around you noticed that? Mm. Yeah, hugely. I, I really feel for my parents actually, because I, I remember my mum trying her absolute hardest to put calories in me and my dad would make jokes that he'd say like he used to say that I ran like the wind and now I get blown away by the wind yeah. <laughs> and that was his way and always is his way of 
of managing things and my brothers were worried about it as well and you know they try and comment and say that being that little isn't isn't necessary mm. to be loved um but obviously yeah that it it's hard isn't it because it's we get so many messages from media and magazines and we're susceptible to it not just because we want to make our bodies look a certain way but because if you have that desire to be perfect in mm. many ways then it's a really easy place to put that mm-hmm. and what was the lowest point of that that kind of cycle would you say Hmm. Or what kind of brought about a change? Like, what, what's have you gone from where? You, from Do you know what? To... Actually, the change sort of started to happen in my third year, and what I realised was not only was my running awful, my friendships weren't as great because I was taking myself away from social situations to get on the running machine, hmm. and I didn't have very much energy. And I was doing a drama and movement degree and I wasn't very funny. <laughs> so I lost my spark entirely yeah. because I was constantly trying to make myself fade away and yeah. be less. And you seem to me like quite an extroverted person. Yeah. And we, you know, we were on stage every single day and I found it really hard because my confidence was just slowly depleting. But in my last year, I started to make a bit of a turnaround and it, it took, it was a long journey, actually. Yeah. It was a really long journey, but I started eating a lot more and I started training a lot less and I became a whole lot funnier. Mm. <laughs> and it was, what we did was, it was meant to be comedy. It was meant to be yeah, funny stuff. Yeah, so yeah. it was quite hard to be funny when you didn't feel very funny. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that. Um, and so do you think that's a common problem? Do you think you were, a, you know, one off or do you think in society today, do you see this a lot in the people around you? Yeah. I think where I went was quite extreme. Mm-hmm. I guess that was quite a, so I would, when I look at, relationship with food Mm. I think we've got like a spectrum so on one end of the spectrum we've got if we can call it perfect we've got a perfect relationship with food so someone who eats regularly has a balanced diet doesn't feel like guilt shame anxiety when they eat certain foods they're not really impacted by food Mm. rules and then the other end of the spectrum we've got eating disorders yeah and then somewhere in the middle we've got people who have food rules um who maybe overeat and like regularly emotionally eat really regularly not just as a a one-off thing um struggle to allow themselves anything that's not the most nutritious meal in the world over exercise all those sorts of things so those are the people that I work with yeah and so yeah can you tell us a bit more about what you're doing now yeah so I coach mostly women I Mm -hmm. also coach men but I suppose I I tend to attract more women to the Mm work and I support people who have a strained relationship with food mostly not always and people who are trying to exercise a healthy amount and do it as something that gives back to their body not as something that punishes their body Mm. as well as supporting with body image because that's a huge part of it I mean our body image is the way that we view our bodies is what guides those actions so if Mm. we have a positive body image we want to look after our bodies and that doesn't look like overtraining it doesn't look like undertraining it looks like training a healthy amount yeah Likewise with eating, it looks like eating a healthy amount, not overeating, not undereating, yeah. um, eating all foods and, you know, managing that in all environments and situations. So that's a lot of what I do now. I do that online. So we have a weekly coaching call and programming. And yeah, I mean, we, I, I see it loads. I can't give a stat because yeah. I don't know if there is a stat for it, <laughs> but I see it an awful lot. And I mean, I guess all you have to do is go and get ready with a room full of females and the messages that come out 
I don't look good enough. Oh, I look fat in this. Oh, I feel like X. Rather than us just being able to be present and be like, guys, you know what? None of us care what any of us look like. Like we're here to have a good time. Definitely. And I think, I guess, are you 30 now, Becky? 32. 32. So like as a 32 year old, you can look back at those teenage and early 20 years and kind of say, here's some perspective. Because what strikes me about you now is, so people won't know this, but Becky's just um, been off to the High Rocks with her friend Kate and they came second. We came third in our age category, yeah. Which is like this incredible competitive workout that happens nationally. Um, And they've also gone off and done really well in Endure 24, which is like an endurance race where you run for 24 hours in, I think, six mile laps. Is that right? Yeah, five mile laps, pain, mega pain. And so your body now is at this incredible place where you can pretty much, on a weekendly basis, pick a different event, a different sport and, and perform really well, which must feel really good. It does feel good, actually. It feels good to... I guess kind of look at movement and be like, yeah, I could give that a shot. Mm. I have to be honest, I can't swim, <laughs> but, but, but I man, I'd manage it. I think yeah, just yeah. not very well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's and and I think you know meeting Kate. So Kate's my business partner, yeah. best friend, family member. Um, <laughs> she's not actually a family member, yeah. but by blood. Um, I started running. I met her at CrossFit, and we started running together. Mm. And actually, she was a really—I don't know how much she knows this—but she was a hugely positive influence on mm. me because she was running for time, and you know, it was all about oh, I'm trying to get faster in my half marathons, and I was like, oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. And suddenly, eating became not about trying to look a certain way, nor did training. It became yeah. about what can my body do. Yeah. And it was really empowering, and yeah, it is great. super empowering to be like actually. Yeah, I get part of its mindset, right? We sat in a really uncomfortable place for 24 hours. It was absolutely horrible, but Mm. it was the mindset that got us there. Mm -hmm. And if you're training for performance, that's what it lends Mm. to, being able to do some really awesome things. Yeah, brilliant. And whatever it is, you know, if you you run 15 miles in that 24-hour period, that's absolutely awesome. Mm. That's great. Love it. Thank you, Becky. I think the thing that that strikes me is lots of, I guess lots of female athletes in particular, actually, are are probably overtraining and underfueling and, you just end up in this negative spiral, which leads to obviously poor bone health, you know, potentially mm-hmm. menorrhea, irregular mm-hmm. uh, menstrual cycles. And it's, it just seems like a really, from our perspective, a really big injury risk, actually. And, yeah. and something that derails people's performance, which is frustrating. So um, it's just so good to be able to talk about it so openly. Yeah, I think that's also somewhere, though, because I think for teenage girls, right, we, we might go in with the, oh, but if you get a menorrhea, then you won't be able to have babies. Mm-hmm. But actually, they're not interested in that right now. Yeah. And... If someone said that to me when I was a teenager, whatever, yeah, I'd have been yeah. like, I don't care. I don't want to have a baby right now. Yeah. So it's not enough of a motivator. But I guess for athletes, for young athletes, performance is. Mm. And getting an injury, man, we all know who, how bad that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it does it does lend to it. Yeah. If you're not f- fueled, it's going to happen. Awesome. So I think you've touched on this already, but essentially, how is your relationship with training and food now? Is it something that's an ongoing battle or is it? do you feel like you're fairly comfortable in terms of how you yeah I mean I it it feels great to Mm -hmm. be in a place where you can not like hate on your body yeah is essentially how I feel um I think as with anything if you've ever had some sort of mental health challenge it's it doesn't just go away and it's something that you have to work on just like anything right you start running and you hit a certain pace you can't just maintain that pace without training you have to keep putting the work in Mm. so I would say I'm in a really good place but I wouldn't say that it never crops up so if I go out and have a big dinner and I've had a couple of alcoholic drinks and maybe ate a little bit more than I usually would there's a high chance that I might wake up in the morning and it's a rest day let's say and I think 
I, I should go out and run today. Yeah. I should, you know, I need to move this stuff. And I just sit and I'm like, no, Becky, yeah. <laughs> that's a thought. You're not your thoughts. Just watch those thoughts go by, yeah. you know, rationalize them. You absolutely don't need to go and do that. We're not getting into those patterns again. So it, it definitely crops up, but it's, I think that's really normal. Mm, that's brilliant. Um, you've got a wonderful Instagram page that I've been looking through um, with some really good videos, like really helpful videos around kind of bad habits and all those kind of things. And, and one of the questions I wanted to ask you really were like, what are your top three training mistakes that you've made firstly? Um, and then we'll do food ones after. So could you kind of summarize some of those videos for me? So go for training first. Yes. Give me the classics. So top three. I mean, I've already, I guess I've already said it a bit, but training to burn calories mm. It A is a super sad place to be because training can give you so much. And in terms of like empowerment, and this is what I love about the women that I work with, they may have never strength trained before. And then they pick up an Olympic barbell and put some plates on it. And it's so empowering yeah. and it feels friggin' awesome. And so training to burn calories takes all of the joy out of it. It becomes something that we have to do. It makes you feel really downtrodden. You don't enjoy it putting your trainers on to go out for a run just feels awful. Whereas when you're like, right, I'm going out there with a goal in mind, a performance goal, it feels absolutely awesome. So that was my first mistake, spending mm. a lot of time trying to burn calories to make myself smaller. Um, second mistake, I guess I've got so many. Yeah, go on. That's right. As many as you need <laughs> I can to. give you a dissertation. I actually think <laughs> I say that on this post. Yeah. Um, no, second will be overtraining. Yeah. Um, doing too much. I think it's so there's this thing called the law of diminishing returns yeah. and it essentially says that something or a little bit of something is that you know there's a sweet spot right so let's say you're doing six runs a week and that is the perfect amount to get you to where you need to be but if you start adding any more than those six runs actually the return that you get starts to diminish mm -hmm. and you get a lot less for it and if anything when we're overtraining we get more than a lot less it actually starts to mean that our fitness starts to deplete so that was something that I massively did mm. and man why do we not enjoy rest yeah, the best, <laughs> why it? do we hate it it's yeah. great it's yeah. so so great um so that'd be my second one yeah and then my third one and I have to say this is a mistake that I still make is going into things too quickly so I guess when you have an experience of running a lot then you take a, a deload period and sometimes because life gets in the way that's longer than planned and you know jumping in and doing too much too soon mm. so again it's hard because it's quite motivating actually to be like right this is my program and I'm going to do five sessions a week but obviously we tend to need to go a lot slower than that yeah. so if we do it again it just leads to injury so it's, it's all really interesting isn't it because it, we're we're trying to do the things that we want to do but actually by doing all of them we end up getting the opposite result mm, mm. if we do it wrong absolutely if that made any sense yeah <laughs> i had once um this idea of like train hard recover harder yes so love like it freshen yourself up yeah run like you know when you run a race and you've done your taper and you just feel a million dollars yeah incredible Fueled up fresh yeah. ready to go you could be, you know, powerful and strong and, um, and really enjoy and attack the race as opposed to kind of limp around. Um, yeah, that's cool. absolutely. And how about food? Give me some classics. Um, so mistakes that I made. Yeah, and just yeah. generally as well that you see just out there. My biggest mistake in the world, and so many of us make it, avoiding carbs. Yeah. What a sad time. I think, do you know what? This is a really interesting one, and I talk about it a lot with clients, is 
so carbs, I think, partly get a bad rep because we essentially don't need them to survive. We need protein, we need essential fats, and we wouldn't live without them. But carbs, we could live without, but we're not going to thrive without them. We'll feel low on energy, pretty crap, maybe even a bit cranky. Um, and they taste incredible. Mm. What's a meal without mm. a potato? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, particularly if you are an athlete, you need to have carbohydrates and trying to run or trying to strength train even without mm. carbs in you is a lot less enjoyable and a lot harder. Mm. So that would be my first mistake. Um, my second would be skipping meals. Again, I think I did an awful lot of things to to aim towards a certain goal and they all drove me towards the opposite goal. So yeah. I wanted to eat less. And so I did things like skip meals and all it ended up doing was making me eat more overall because yeah. I was so hungry later. It's just like, if you don't breathe for a moment, when you finally give yourself that breath of air, you're going to gasp for it because your body needs it to survive. Mm. Just like if you don't eat, for a really long period of time, your body's going to be absolutely desperate. And as soon as it sees it, yeah. there's no off button. You've just got to go and go and go. Um, so that would be my second. I think on that as well, I've, I've seen with kids that go to schools and I feel like when you're at school, your brain needs to be sharp. You need to be fresh. Yeah. You need to be able to, yeah. A bit like with university as well. You need to be able to focus. Yeah. And if you're depleted and fatigued, you're not going to learn. And I see kids walking out of schools looking like zombies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then just... um. And I think, yeah, I, so I totally agree on that point in terms of just fueling throughout the day and consistently and not just waiting for big feeds, like you said. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, But I think also we do it because we think, you know, it's, it's the classic, oh, I'm going out for dinner later, I better skip a meal. Mm. Actually, if you can practice a few like basic eating habits, like having your lunch is going to make you way less likely to overeat later at dinner. Yeah. So yeah, it serves us well in terms of our energy levels, concentration, capacity to actually be happy yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very good um and on that any more on, on the food stuff any more things you can think of um i've given you two haven't i two are good yeah i'll give a third um what have i said so i've said carbs. skipping meals carbs um oh being overly restrictive again so i mean they're all quite similar but not ever allowing myself i've been through phases where i've you know no sugar whatsoever yeah. and Again, I mean, even if, so I do work with people who also have a fat loss goal and mm. you can absolutely work on your relationship with food and fat loss at the same time. And a lot of people think, oh, you know, I'll, I'll cut out chocolate because chocolate is the thing that I overeat on. Mm. But if you don't work on your relationship with it, you're just going to end up back in that exact same space mm. after you've done the the diet, removing the chocolate. So I would always say, you know, if we do need to reduce something, we reduce it, we don't restrict it. Mm. And taking it out of your diet entirely only leads to things like then overeating on it again. Yeah, that's great. Um, I saw an anecdote yesterday as well, where you talked about days where you feel bloated and you want to, you know, you're going out, mm -hmm. for example, um, and then remembering why people like you. Mm -hmm. That one. Yeah. Can you tell me, a bit, yeah. tell us about, about that. I thought that was really good. That post. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, it's a little, uh, it's a little drama post, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we'll give it that. Yeah. It's um. So yeah, in the post, essentially, it's I've, I, it's actually this is actually me before a night out. So yeah. I had this outfit that I wanted to wear, okay. and it was some trousers with a crop top, and the trousers were quite tight. And I absolutely love the outfit, but I was at a certain point in my menstrual cycle where I just don't like myself very much, mm. and and I can recognise that now, so mm. I can just sweep it under the carpet. <laughs> but 
so I say when I have these chats, I call that voice body image because it kind of separates it from me. And the voice was telling me that I look too bloated. And actually, if I was going to eat dinner, then I would look super bloated. So don't have your pasta. Mm. But actually, I was planning on running the next morning. So I'm essentially saying to that voice, look, I'm going out to my friend's engagement party, actually. And she's chosen me as her maid of honor. She does not care what my body looks like. She's chosen me because she's my best friend. She loves me because of how I make her feel. It's absolutely nothing to do with the way that I look. Mm. And it's it's really interesting. I say to my client, I ask my clients a lot to redefine beauty. Mm. So I ask them, you know, what does it actually mean to you? Because we were not born with a belief of what is beautiful. We weren't born hating our bodies and thinking that beauty was a certain body type or something to look at. And when we can redefine that and be like, actually, what, what do I really value? And what's really important to me is for most of us. And actually for the people that I work with, it's got absolutely nothing to do with the way that we look. Yeah. I agree with that. And what would you say to parents listening to this, perhaps who have young people in Mm -hmm. their families? Um, What's your best advice for them on this whole topic and how they can help and be supported? So, I mean, Starting from from being quite young, something really important is to to not force food on children. Um, there's I see it quite a lot uh, surrounding me. You know, mm. f- parents who tell their children they have to finish what's on their plate when actually their child's full, and it creates this like need to overeat, and we then see overeating as something that's quite normal. Mm. Um, So there are definitely things that we can do when our children are little and, you know, our language Mm. about bodies. I think something really important is particularly for girls. And I always talk about women. I guess it's because I'm a woman, but this is something that's also prevalent for men. It's important to say that. I think so, you know, being aware of what we say about our bodies is super important. Um, How we talk about our body weight when we step on the scales. Mm. There's an awesome meme and it, you know, it's quite extreme, but it's two little girls and they one of them stood on the scales and she's looking at her sister and she says see I told you it doesn't hurt and her sister says well why does mummy cry every time she steps on Mm -hmm. them and I mean it's hard because we've been we've had this pushed on us but if we can try not to create that for the younger generation then awesome so just being mindful about how we talk about ourselves being mindful about what we say about other people Mm. it's really common that people who have a poor body image comment on other people's bodies Mm. and something that I do a lot with my nieces so they've got wonderful blonde curly hair and people comment on it all of the time wow hasn't she got the most gorgeous hair and I say something like she does yeah she's also really funny yeah yeah. she's great at gymnastics as well and just try and bring up character traits a lot more because it's important to take the importance away from how we look and bring it on to and do you think during adolescence it's important not to make too many comments about in adolescence comments about bodies very 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 well, bad. They're bad. Yeah. They... Did you have experience of that when you were younger? Yeah, I um, I actually really remember going through a body change from a, a period of time when I was at when I was running a lot, and someone, mm. one of the mums, said to me that I looked a lot less bloated. I think the word she used was a lot less chunky, <laughs> and some, some said something about me looking prettier, and I was like, oh, geez, like. <laughs> Thanks, but it stayed with me yeah. and it's something that I still remember now. And yeah. I talk to my friends about similar things as well. I just think 
you know, even telling girls what to wear, you know, saying you shouldn't, no, you shouldn't wear that because you look like X. Mm. Well, they're expressing their personality. Mm. So if they want to wear it, absolutely they should. Um, And I'd also, I think, you know, around food is mega important. I guess as adults, we need to put the work in so that we don't put it on our children too, because we're not always aware of it. But I get, yeah, you know, oh, should you be eating all of that? haven't you already had lunch yeah maybe they're just eating intuitively because we're actually born with the capacity to do so yeah or going through a growth spurt or going through a growth spurt (laughs) cool and if you had like a group of i don't know 13 14 year olds Mm -hmm. and you're doing a school assembly right now yeah what would your big take-home message what would you want to say to your younger self if you were sat in that do you know I love this because this is um this is actually a real like real deep therapy session. I'm hoping some of these might listen to this. That's, yeah. That's why. <laughs> I, so shall I? What I'd say to myself mm-hmm. as a, mm-hmm. I actually make the make and <laughs> make the women I coach do this. Yeah. No, I I I'll often suggest this as an, an activity and exercise in my coaching, and I've never done it myself. Mm. And when okay. I so I read this question and I was like, oh, that's quite emotional for me because it's a really it's a deep question. But I don't think that's too deep for you, Dan. Come on, bring it. <laughs> Um, but what I would say to my younger self, and I guess I've kind of said this, but I would say that your beauty is absolutely in the way that you make others feel. It's in the way that you inspire people to feel confident and to feel happy and full of life and supported and listened to absolutely has nothing to do with the way that you look. Um, I would tell myself that if I could create a relationship with my body that was based on love then it would take me to some really awesome places and do some really awesome things and I would let myself know that it's all right to fail and that it's only a failure if you give up trying wow and I can testify to that because I've met lots of people that know you really (laughs) well and love you and work with you and you are one of those people that brings life into other people so I'm glad you said that that's amazing um and I guess going forward in the future Obviously, hopefully this is the kind of thing you'll do more of. You obviously do this work all the time anyway. What are you hoping to kind of do more of career-wise, but also personally as well? Yeah, I think um, career-wise, I mean, so what I've learned in the last year is that a lot of the parents that I coach have teenage girls that need this sort of support. And I don't know what it looks like yet, but I think that's where I'd love to take this work. If I, I often think if I had a guide like myself, I don't know if that sounds really big headed, but if I had someone in my life when I, yeah, when I was, you know, actually had a lot of potential in running and other Mm. things. And, and I, I guess I threw some of that away because for a period of time, at least, because I didn't have someone help me to harness it in a super positive way. And that's not saying that I don't have amazing parents, Mm. but we don't look to them when we're teenagers, do we? We do in many Mm. ways, but Mm. we also, we need some guidance from an outside source. Yeah, yeah. So I'd, I'd really like to support younger women um, and, yeah, help them to really see their potential and, and not go down that path, I guess. I wonder as well about whether you could coach the coaches too. I'm just thinking there must be lots, maybe more male coaches than female coaches in certain sports. Yeah, yeah. Who probably don't quite get this <laughs> and yeah. get how their words can be damaging. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, totally. And I think even understanding things like the menstrual cycle and, and hormones and, mm-hmm. and all the changes. I think the more, especially with women's sport increasing so much and so beautifully at the moment, I think there's a lot of learning that needs to increase with that um, to make a much safer kind of, I don't know, better place for everyone to be in. Yeah. But and that's great, Becky. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd want to add in before we, um, before we close? I don't think so. 
That's been really, really helpful. So. Thank you so much for um, yeah sharing your story, really, and your insights. Um, I'm going to put all of Becky's contact details in the show description notes so you can follow her um, social media stuff that she does. She also does a brilliant boot camp uh, with her partner, Kate, called Raise the Bar, um, which is really good in Cavisham, Maple Durham kind of way, isn't it? No, it's um, It's Sonic Common. Common, (laughs) I was like, yeah, no, no, it's not Sonic Common. It's Sonic Common, but you'll you'll see all the the links to that. Um, But Becky, thank you so much for taking the time to come in. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate having this conversation with you. Awesome. Take care. Thanks, Dan.